This is Market Ready, a brand new podcast about how companies bring products to market. On this season, we go behind the scenes and give you an in-depth look at the world of product marketing and answer questions like, what is product marketing? What are the core skills you need to be a product marketer? How is product marketing different at large and small companies? And so much more. But before we dive in, on this episode, we are going to discuss how to build credibility with product managers. This was an interesting conversation because it evolved into discussing how to manage and resolve conflict with product managers and what happens when you can't. Stay tuned to see how we've handled those situations in the past. Also, I want to note, this episode was recorded before we moved to remote work full-time. While some of our tips are about grabbing coffee and having FaceTime, we still want to underscore it's important to have non-work-related meetings with your counterparts. Finally, you will hear, I am struggling with losing my voice the entire episode, but hopefully you'll find it enjoyable anyway. And now, on to our show. All right, Maisha, you want to kick us off? Yes. Yeah, so we touched on this last week in the, in the episode right before this one, and we really touched on influencing the product roadmap, some key uh, folks you're going to be working with. And one of those we identified was product management. Um, they are your number one person right by your side that you're going to be working with primarily as a product marketing manager. I think as a product marketer, one of the biggest things that you could bring to help influence the product roadmap is being the voice of the customer. And so really making sure that you have customer data points and verbatims to help prove a point or just back up things that are that are going on. Um, especially if there are particular features that we may want to, that you at your company may want to push up in the roadmap um, because there are some uh, monetary value to that or just customer sentiment or even just getting you to market parity. Sometimes it's just the industry that you're in and the competitive landscape, uh, making sure that you have those insights to help influence the product roadmap. I would say if you can get your product manager sitting down, you know, with your actual customer, if you can connect them, that is ideal because hearing it from the customer, I think, will carry more weight than even hearing it from you. I agree. I think like when you are setting up these customer reviews or surveys, that product should be in the room to actually hear verbatim. It it definitely changes the mindset and they can also pick up things. Um, Sometimes they'll even explain things to a customer, but also be there to listen as well. Yeah. And I would also add to that, you know, something that I have seen done at this job and that we do is really try to have a customer advisory board. I don't know if you guys have ever done those, One of the benefits of participating in the customer advisory board is really getting that direct kind of one-on-one time with our product managers, getting a preview of the roadmap early, being able to weigh in. We survey them that they're like our first kind of point of contact with the outside. You know, maybe they're going to be our alpha customers as we talked about our phases for launch. So really identifying who are your product evangelists as far as customers and really starting to get them onboarded in programs that will help them interface with product management early and often I think is really key. What else? Yes. 
Um, I think another thing uh, to your point about knowing the product is making sure that you're leveraging that relationship that you're building with them and that one-on-one time. Typically, a product roadmap is developed very early on during the year. Um, so whatever part of whatever planning process you do, some companies do that planning process quarterly. Some people do that um, bi-yearly um, and some people just do it annually and have quarterly check-ins. So you need to understand when is your product team actually building out a lot of these core um, features in terms of determining what's going to be on the product roadmap and uh, make sure that you're able, we talked a little bit about this last week, having a seat at that table and if you can't get a seat, having that folding chair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and some ways to kind of break into to that particular session. But be aware of when a lot of these planning sessions are happen, happening so that way you can um, influence that. And if you're not able to do it, I do want to caveat that by saying that if you're not able to meet that yearly product roadmap one that's set out, again, try to be a part of those quarterly um, check-ins that could happen. And if you're leading, um, in particular, a good cause or has some really good customer feedback that you're just really, you know, the customer voice is very clear on, on what's next. And those are really beneficial beneficial and useful to your product and engineering team. Yeah. And I would say, you know, we probably need to start a good old relationship building. Yes. You know, I think it comes back to building a relationship, whether this is with your boss, whether it's with a customer, whether it's with an internal stakeholder. I think it's important to know what is important to your product manager. What are their goals? How are they incentivized? What's what's most pressing on their mind so that you can talk to them in their language? That I agree with. Um, I, I think one of the things I have done in the in the past year or so is I actually took a, a product management course just to get a general sense of what the role does. And I think that really helped me in terms of understanding their role and being able to um, talk their talk in their language of, of what's important. And also making sure that you do um, level set with them in terms of, you know, what terminology is being used and that you understand um, some of those uh, at the bare minimum, a little bit of the technical components that might go behind that as well. I think another thing that's important is, you know, understanding how do they operate? You know, is it waterfall? Is it agile? Is it a bit of a mix? Because understanding how they develop, I think building a product marketing plan is actually very different, whether it's waterfall or agile. You know, I think agile becomes a little bit more difficult to plan for. You know, they're constantly releasing updates. So I think you have to be more creative about how you're going to package them up in your timing of release. And I don't know about you, I found it a little bit more difficult. Now, I would just love to put the PSA out there. A lot of people claim agile and don't actually do agile. But in real agile, you might have releases every day to every other day. So it's even harder to really stay on top of that. But understanding how do they develop, understanding what is called LOEs or level of effort for engineering. Because if you're going to really be seen as a thought partner, I think understanding how long things take so that you can be collaborative in problem solving, how you can group together things to fit into a sprint, understanding how sprints are designed and really understanding how they work and what's important to them so that you can be seen as an added benefit versus maybe somebody who's asking for something that's not realistic or somehow like a roadblock to what they're trying to do. I agree. And I think I'll just add on top of that, that you also, as a thought partner to product and engineering, you want to be able to shift 
sift kind of through that. If you're in an agile working environment where there's constant updates coming along, product marketer need to be able to understand, okay, which ones are like our tier one? Like these are the ones that we're going to make the biggest noise about, you know, throughout the year at certain points, Um, which ones are tier two where it's like, it's not going to get as much level of supporting, but you know, we will do at least like a blog post or send out an email. And then what's kind of like a tier three, like, and we may not, you know, really talk about this. We're just going to allow this to go out by itself. So as a thought partner, you need to also be thinking through what those features are, what's the business objective and goal of that, how that's going to affect your customers, and um, understanding, like, what you should be making a big marketing um, noise about and which ones, you know, you probably don't need to. Yeah, I think it's important. I think it's discussing that early because, you know, one of the things we're going to talk about coming up soon is about conflict management. And I think one place where conflict can arise is not having agreement. If you think something is really a small or medium-sized launch or something that's not really supported and your product manager, your engineering team thinks that it's a big deal and they're expecting a big splash and fanfare, that's one of the places where I think it can get really tough uh, with your relationship. What about other places where you have potential conflict with product managers? I would say probably another area I've seen this is just in terms of ownership, yeah. in terms of who owns what, um, and especially <laughs> when it comes to customer-facing material. So, mm-hmm. for example, um, in product notifications, pop-ups, um, you know, onboarding experiences, um, In my past, I have, you know, there's been a little bit of conflict of who owns the copy there, who owns the flow Mm -hmm. um, between marketing and product and what that means. And so I think just getting very clear about um, who owns what and where um, within the product, outside of the product. Um, So just really being clear on ownership and responsibilities. Yeah, I think that that's that is a good point. And I think it's different at different places. Some We've alluded to this in the past. Sometimes product marketers really own the go-to-market, but I have seen product managers who are GM. I think that's a really good place. I would say launch date. You know, if I had to pick one area where there is like the biggest source of conflict between product marketing and product management, I often find it's launch date. You know, they may want time or they may not think it's a hard deadline or they may not see the importance of releasing something around an event and is really focused on trying to get it right. And by all means, that's their job. Um, But understanding that market conditions are really trying to get them on your schedule if there is especially a public facing deadline, I think is really important. Or the flip side of that, which uh, I alluded to last week, where it's just like they, you know, product did not come to you and they're wanting to release something and want you to market it like the next day. Yeah. When a release is there. So it it can go either way. Um, But that's also where conflict arises, where, you know, um, you may not have such a strong partnership between um, product and marketing, and they are releasing things without providing that insight um, to marketing. And so, like, when things are released, uh, there's, you know, marketing is not prepared to support a particular launch because not having that insight of what's going on. Yeah. Any other places? So, I mean, we kind of have you know, around release date, we have around ownership. Are there any other places where you tend to have, you know, conflict with product management? I would say two areas. One is just um, in terms of what we talked about, influence the product roadmap, 
and having those customer insights and being the voice of the customer. Oftentimes, especially if a product and engineering team has spent a great deal amount of time working on a particular feature, yeah. and you come in and you say, hey, this needs to change, yeah. and um, and they are you know, just so ingrained in that particular way, and the feature, um, and you know, the customer data is just showing we need to change. There's also, that's where conflict has also arised yeah. in terms of, you know, they may not want to change it because they felt like they know the product best and what's going to be best for customers, yeah. um, whereas the customer data is telling us something else. And so how do you you know, have that conversation um, by letting them know that their contributions are appreciated, but we're not here to just build, you know, we're not only here just to build things that we want to build, but we have an obligation to our customer to build what's best for them as well. Um, So that's some areas that I've seen um, conflict arise. And then I would say um, the, the other area is just personality. Yeah. So um, just personality clashes that can happen during just any conflict manager, and that's across the board. Um, But sometimes that does happen um, between, usually it's over one of the things that we mentioned before, over ownership or um, just like conflict in the terms of the direction that we should be going in. Um, But sometimes that, that happens as well. I feel like I also would add to the list about talking to engineering directly. Like, you know, a feeling like I'm almost trying to cut them out. Mm. And I have seen a lot um, of people just not being comfortable with you talking to engineering. And so that's one of the places, especially at a small company, because it's like, you know, engineering, right? Like, you know, you may eat lunch with these people or go to coffee or happy hour. So it's like a little weird to be working on something and not talk to them. Um, But just having, again, a fear that maybe you're going to change that roadmap by going directly to engineering, I have also, you know, had conflict arise. So let's talk about how do we deal with the conflict? Like, I just don't want to name kind of some of the areas. I mean, obviously, it's important for people to know that they're not alone. But how do you start handling some of the conflict? And I think, you know, you brought up a really good example of like ownership. So why don't we tackle that one? Yeah, so um, I will talk very broadly to protect me. Yeah. Companies. <laughs> um, but one, when I ran into this in, um, in a past, in a past role, uh, I actually had to level it, escalate that, um, mm. escalate the path um, to not only to our managers, but to our directors and actually get a mandate from the C-suite of what a what the marketing org handles versus what the product um, org handles. And that's what we kind of use to ground our um ground our conversation and I had to create a whole presentation about here's what I see that marketing handles versus what product handles here's how we come together um and here are some of our key like stakeholders within that and have that 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 conversation um and so I think in that terms when it comes to responsibility roles and responsibilities sometimes it's easier to escalate and to kind of follow what is the top-down directive Mm -hmm. of what marketing handles versus what product handles and use that and then gauge that around your particular product project as well that's what worked for me in the past that is great because I am going to take the absolute opposite approach because as somebody who spent a lot of my career at startups 
you know, one of the things our leaders love organizations to be flat. You know, they typically don't like hierarchy. So they typically don't want to get in it. You know, escalation is a little bit of a bad word. And so it's like, you guys handle it yourself. So I would say I actually take like a very human approach, right? Take people out of the office, go to coffee, go to dinner, get to know them personally, because it's really hard for somebody to stonewall you when like they get to know you, you know, and you like take up personal interest when you're asking about their kids or their dog or like it's really hard for them to turn around and be really mean and cold um, in a professional setting. So I kind of like take the opposite approach. My mom always used to have this saying like kill people with kindness. So whenever I get stonewalled, I tend to go in the opposite direction where it's like I'm going to be like your work BFF, you know, like and I'm going to like understand the things you like and like, you know, buy you that coffee or that wine that you like and really kind of soften you because most of the time when people kind of see you as a friend it's really hard to be like no I'm not doing that no I'm not no no you know um so that's the way that I handle it is like almost like get personal and like really get to know them and try to have a functional working relationship and usually if you can align your goals with their goals people kind of ease up a little bit and if you have to get their boss involved, then obviously have to. But I usually do it in the same way, more of a casual approach, and I try not to escalate or even giving somebody a warning. Even recently, it was not a product manager. Uh, but, you know, I had a situation where I was like, this person's blocking me. I'm not sure that they understand that they're blocking me. You know, so I was like, can we have a sidebar before I just have to, like, tell the whole project team, like, right. you are the person blocking me? And it actually went really well. Like, this particular person was like, oh, I'll take over ownership and I'll go to my boss and I'll get clearer priorities. Um, So that has been really successful for me. I think the next thing that I think is a big thing is kind of changing that product roadmap that you alluded to. And so I want to talk about how do we get past changing that product roadmap? One thing I want to say is like, you shouldn't just show up to the product roadmap <laughs> meeting and just be like, here's, here's the customer feedback I'm changing and that's the it. And I'm changing everything. <laughs> um, you, you cannot do that. Do not walk in and do that. Um, I would say have an idea of a couple of things that you may want to get bumped up. Mm-hmm. And I think I touched on this last week that like a product roadmap has like, it's kind of like a negotiation process, but yeah. as a part of it, when you, say, like, let's bump up this particular feature, making sure that we built this out or prioritize this, that means there is, um, you know, there's a balance of what's bumping off um, off that roadmap. Yeah. So, again, it's the, a balance of not only new features, but also updates to existing features mm-hmm. that customers may want. Um, and outside of just, like, overall fixes and overall maintenance. Um, so just know that, when you come in there, have a game plan of maybe one to two things that you may want bumped up or bumped down or feel really strongly about, or it has like a business, like really tie it to like a business goal, like yeah. a larger business goal, and that it's going to help us get X amount of new customers or retain X amount of our existing customers. We're going to see X amount of, you know, uh, revenue expected from this as well. Yeah. So um, it's not just about like being the voice of customer and that's it of like their complaints. It's about having having a real business need for wanting a particular feature to get bumped up um, within the process as well. Yeah, this is another one where I say it's really important to put product in connection with the customer. Um, you know, because 
I think, again, hearing it from customers, it's really hard to stonewall. You know, when you kind of, you know, get them to spend a day with them or get on a video call or record feedback, hearing it from the customer directly and not hearing from you, all of a sudden it feels more real and more grounded. And I don't think you should be offended by that, but I do think it's just a fact, you know. And so I think when you, you know, can get them in interfacing with customers, it often helps a lot more with changing the product roadmap. I would also say this is where it's really important, you know, going back to the GTM show, you know, talking about what are your phases to launch. And this is one of the reasons why I'm so rigorous about my GTM process and like what does alpha mean? What does beta mean and what are success criteria for moving phases? Because that way you have early on created an objective standard for moving phases and then it becomes less on you. You know, it's like, hey, we agreed if we did not get X percentage of usability for this feature, we weren't moving on. Right. You know, we agreed if we weren't getting X amount of customers or X amount of adoption or if it wasn't functioning to this percent, we weren't moving on. So it's not me trying to change the roadmap. It's like we agreed to these metrics. And so now there's an objective standard for why we need to delay. And I would also say this is where it's important what I said at the beginning of the episode of understanding level of effort and When you ask for a change, what else is this impacting? And I think it's really important to have empathy here because you can understand any person who's working. If you're working on something and somebody's asking for a last minute change, how would you feel? You know, so also have empathy for your product managers. I do think it is a tough job and they're also in a very cross-functional role where they're influencing without authority and engineering may want a whole other different set of things. Mm -hmm. So they are constantly negotiating between us and engineering. And so this is something where if you're going to ask for a change, have a clear priority. Definite business objective. Yeah, know what the level of effort and kind of be flexible on timing. It's not only important to have empathy for your product manager, but it's also important to have empathy for your customers. Today, we are going to do a quick product spotlight on the Conversation Intelligence Platform Chorus. Chorus is a tool that enables you to record, transcribe, and analyze your calls in real time. This is an extremely valuable way to gather customer insights and share them with relevant stakeholders. As a marketer, you can use Chorus to quickly scale your understanding of customer pain points, use cases, and understand how your marketing messages resonate. Chorus has a number of integrations, including Zoom, Google Meet, Join Me, BlueJeans, and many, many more. We sincerely hope you will try Chorus or other conversational tools to help you gather customer insights. And now, back to our show. Are there any other key ones around conflict that you want to address and kind of give us some tips on? I would say as much as possible, make sure you're utilizing that one-on-one, those mm-hmm. one-on-one time with your product manager. If you're not, if you don't have a weekly one-on-one with your product manager, please have one. 
um, and also spend some time with them. Sit in their area, um, even if you don't, like if a product and marketing sit on different floors or different units, spend at least like once a week or every couple of weeks with them as well to really get close and have that time with FaceTime with your engineering team as well. I think that's that's really helpful um, in terms of building that relationship as well. Um, because you guys are so closely aligned, when there is conflict, people can see it. Yeah. Um, and it affects a lot of the project timelines that are there. So as much as possible, utilize different types of conflict management styles. Um, so whether that's having, um, talking about your different personality styles, your right. communication styles, um, whether that is having a heart-to-heart or just going out for drinks or lunch together and being really honest with each other, Um I think it's important. Um, and I will say I have been in situations where I've had, you know, uh, where I did have a conflict with my yeah. PM and they actually did not want to resolve our conflict. Yeah. Um, to, to I've where, had people like, request we, other people on my team. Right. You know, <laughs> to where, you know, we we basically really couldn't work together because um, instead of coming to me when there was an issue, she would try to go to my boss and my boss would say, well, have you talked to her? And she'd say no. Yeah. And it was just like, well, I don't know what to do. Like, you guys need to yeah. to work this out. Um, and then when I went to her um, to this particular PM, she uh, basically said she didn't really want to work with me. Yeah. Um, and so I, I want us to also caveat to say that, yes, you can use conflict management tools. Yeah. And for the most part, most of your PM team is going to want to work together. But there are situations where that just does not work out. And, um, and you know, you utilize your HR managers and everything else yeah. to um to see, find a best solution so that the work still gets done. Yeah. And, you know, maybe there is an opportunity in that. You know, I had a situation where I was the team lead and I was the product marketing yes. team team lead and somebody wanted to request somebody on my team to have me taken off of the work. And it was mainly because <clears throat> I think, you know, he viewed this woman on my team as a particular pushover. Um, so where I would give pushback and saying like, are we doing the right things? Or, you know, I want this and I'm staunch about this in this release. I think he saw her more as, you know, what is often called an order taker, Mm. you know, and at some point I just reshuffled the work and I did get off it. You know, if, if we're not going to have a harmonious relationship, sometimes it's not the worst thing in the world to kind of reshuffle the deck. If you have had, you know, tried the conflict resolution tools and you've had to escalate and all of those kind of things, that is really going to waste time. And so at some point, I do think you have to know when to call it and figure out what other, you know, uh, parts of work or projects or products, you know, may be interesting or beneficial to you to work on if the relationship really isn't there. So why don't we move on to talking about how do you educate the product team about marketing? Yeah, so this is a good one. And I, and I primarily see this with especially younger PMs um, who, you know, this is kind of like their first year or two or a couple of years within there yeah. who may not have that much um, experience. But I think um, just overall, it's really great to give your product management team insight on what marketing actually does. So as a product marketer, 
Essentially, yes, you are you are the spokesperson um, for that side, but product team does not usually see all the other marketers that you work with. Yeah. So they're not going to work with like the brand marketing team. They're not going to work with the email marketing team. Or you know, if you have a customer marketing team, so they they don't have exposure to all those different teams that you may have to work with in order to launch a particular campaign. Um, and so you're kind of the spokesperson for that who has to let them know, like, hey, if we're going to use these resources, I have to get their time. And that takes about a minimum six weeks. Yeah. And so that means I need X ready by this date. Um, and so that's what that's one of the things about educating them just just about the internal process of what it takes yeah. to actually launch a campaign that, you know, it's not just as easy as like hey, we need to launch this today, you know, do your marketing magic and send out an email and post it on social media and that's it. Right. Um, And so I think a part of it, one of the things I like to do, especially with a new um, PM working relationship, is explain my role, what I'm responsible for, and really explain our organization in terms of like who I'm working with and um, who those other folks that I may be working with as well. Yeah, and I think it's best to do it up front. You know, I hear a lot of departments, not just marketing. You know, I spend a lot of time with our legal privacy team and, you know, finance team. And, you know, in particular here, we have a great learning and development program. And so people will call just to create a lunch and learn or put what their department does as part of the onboarding training or something like that. And so find really creative and subtle ways to start educating. But I would say, you know, a best thing to do is when you start a new project team or, you know, you get on a new product, that is the time to kind of come in and level set. And again, you know, we call back to the GTM show a lot, but I do think that there was a lot of great meaty content in there where one of the things I said is really get alignment on your go-to-market plan. Like that is the opportunity to say, this is the way I work. This is how I run the plan. These are the metrics I'm looking for. These are the things I'm going to look at. And if you guys don't like the way I approach this, now's the time for us to talk and get alignment. Um, So I think that that's a good opportunity to educate. And I would also say, Find milestones, you know, if you are doing a phase approach versus alpha to beta, or if you are doing a time approach, which is, you know, checking in monthly or checking in quarterly, find the times to actually give the team an update so they actually know how much work went into it, how many metrics go into it, that this is really a strategic process. It's not random. And I find it so funny in my 10th year, more and more when I talk about what I do, people do think it's like, oh, I see a social media post and it's easy, right? And I'm like, oh, audience segmentation and how we segment creatives for this audience and how we segment messaging and how we test this. And like the more I get into the nuance, people are like, oh my gosh, your job is so complicated. I'm like, yeah, anybody just doesn't do this. I know we make it look easy, but that is actually part of our job is to make it look and sound easy but it is a very complex you know a little bit of a scientific thing that we do and so I think if you have the opportunity to educate them early and often then it's good any other tips for educating them yeah, I kind of, um, that's a good point. I, I also equate it to oftentimes as product mar- uh, managers, they are allocating engineering time. So they have to allocate, you know, it's going to take 
this amount of engineering resources and this amount of many hours in order to complete a particular new feature or launch. And so I do the same thing on the other side. Like, you know, you said it's going to take 2.5 of your engineers, like at least two engineers and, you know, 20 hours of their time. Right. And so I equate it to that. Like, so I'm going to need to work with three different marketers and ask yeah. for allocate this amount of time for them to do it. Um, and I'm very clear about those timelines early on. And so just equate it to like, just as you do resourcing on your side, I have to do resourcing on my side for the right marketing resources in order to build this out as well. So it's like we're building together and that's how I relate it. That is an amazing tip. I have never done that in 10 years of being a product marketer, but that is like an amazing tip. And I am totally going to use that to think about it in the yeah in the way of resourcing and and kind of speaking their language. And I think again, whatever communication tools, you know, I think right now what's really popular is crucial conversations and you know radical candor is some of you know the trending ways about how you talk honestly and vulnerably in the workplace. But getting on the same page, I never thought about equating those kind of resources. So they really do see the organizational impact. Brilliant. Uh, what about questions? Any other tips before we move into questions? I think those are the top ones. Yeah. So the question that I've selected out of the bunch today is not directly about product, but it is talking about, you know, how do you land a PMM role if you don't quite have experience? And one of the reasons why I wanted to put it with this show is because I do think it can feel strange to like be a new product marketer and be interfacing with product and you don't necessarily have that confidence to rely on. You may not have that experience or that expertise for other places. So what are some of the ways that you would recommend how people can land the job despite not having experience? Yeah. So I'll even take this and flip this a little bit more. So I'm glad we actually included this on here because I've actually seen a number of different product managers yeah. switch um, to become a product marketing manager. I am one. I yes. did it. So I think like this is a really great question to talk about how often that switch happens between when you are a product manager coming over to be a product marketing manager and what that relates to. Um, and so I will say that given that, you know, you don't, product managers don't necessarily have marketing experience, right. but what they do have um, and should have and what they're bringing to the table is a good understanding of you know, how the product works, how to build it, that engineering side. Um, and to your point, Jeanette, if they have been working in more of like a general manager sense, they typically have a very good overlay of not just the product and engineering side, but the business aspect of it as well. Yeah. And so, and if they've been working very closely with their product marketing managers and have that good um, relationship, they've gotten some insight along the way of what it takes to actually um, build a go-to-market plan, execute on that go-to-market yeah. plan, and um, do the um, implementation monitoring post-launch um, and have been working with them too. Um, and so I think that um, with with the product, mar when you don't have product marketing manager experience, there's... Um, a lot of transferable skills that could relate into yeah. this because, as I said before, a product marketing manager is like a CMO of the product. Right. So you do need to have that general overlay of not only just marketing, but that business aspect and um, really understanding the product and engineering side as well. Um, and so I think there's a lot of transferable skills that you could um, tap into um, 
what it takes to be a product marketing manager without that title. Yeah, I thought you brought up two good points. One, a little bit different from the question, but I do find I work best with product managers who have been product marketers, Um, even if they didn't like it. And I have empathy because I have been on the other side of a, you know, I was a product marketer first, dipped my toe into product management because I thought, you know, they had the power, they had the control didn't like it. I just personally did not like writing requirements and I found it boring. Uh, So I stepped back across the line, but I do kind of having that understanding of writing requirements and user flows and user testing and how do you manage engineering have a lot of empathy. So I do think it comes back to having some empathy. But then how to land the job. I just think you have to land on your, you know, rely on your strengths. And I say this about any kind of career transition to be fully transparent parent. I was a civil engineer before I got into tech marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I made a very significant transition. I think with any transition, you have to find what is that core skill that's really going to carry you. Are you a really stellar project manager? Are you a marketer of a different kind where you're really strong at content? Are you a consumer insights or research person, right? Like you're going to have one of these myriad of skills that you do well. Um, Hopefully, if not, you're going to work and focus on bolstering one. And then you're going to use that as your strong point. And you're going to figure out whether it's hiring for the team or contractors or outsourcing or supplementing or using from other people. How are you going to start to build the other skills you need? But I think just find one core skill and start to lean on that and then start to branch out from there. And there's, you know, a lot of great research online. One of the people that I follow for career coaching is Marcus Buckingham, and he talks about how you can learn and strengthen your weaknesses through how you learn with your strengths. And so, for example, for me, because I was an engineer, my strengths is really quantitative. You know, I like the go-to-market. I like the number crunching. I like all the data. That's where I'm really comfortable. I'm not really comfortable with writing a lot of content, but that is becomes a big part of the job. And I was doing a talk a couple of weeks ago about career transitions, and one of the things I said is, because I'm an engineer, I like patterns and I like numbers. So when I have to write something, I often go and search for inspiration of something that I think that is well-written, and then I start to dissect it. Like the first sentence is about XYZ and the second sentence is about this. So like the first sentence is an intro and the second sentence is about value props and then you close with this and so I almost create myself an outline and then it's like I create like a paint by numbers outline to do writing and so I take my strengths which is like synthesizing information and seeing patterns and then I dissect that pattern and I use it to bolster my weaknesses. So thinking about you know how you can take something that you're really strong in and use that to kind of get over the hump in the anxiety anxiety of other things. Yes. And I will say too, um, as you're going through the interview process for a payment bull, hiring managers are looking for particular skill sets. So they are looking for that collaborative piece. And I think if you can pull out some really great stories around um, things that you've led, so like as Jeanette um, said, speaking to your strengths, um, but especially like anything around um, where you drove, like used insights, actioned on it, um, and then reviewed that with metrics and saw how well it performed or didn't perform and what you did post that. So really seeing how you drove something from start to finish is something that's really focused on in the hiring process and having really good examples of that. Um, Just some soft skills as we've talked 
talked about in earlier episodes around um, being very collaborative, having that um, data side and that aspect and understanding the numbers um, is really important. And then um, I would say the last part is just like, Uh, being a learner. So I want to say like as a product marketing manager, you are solving some really tough problems, especially if you're working on something that has not been done before. Yeah. And so just having that mental flexibility um, to come in and want to solve problems, be a learner every day and and help figure it out is just a really great strength to have. Um, Even if you don't necessarily have product marketing manager as your specific job title. Yeah, no, I think that that's a great tip and I think that's a great place to close. Awesome. Well, this has been episode six of Market Ready. Tune in next time. Thank you. This show was produced by the Market Ready team. Sound mixed and edited by Full Spectrum Productions with original music from Damani Rhodes. Thank you again for listening and feel free to connect with us at Market Ready Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn.